0: And I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy in it. You know, I just want people to know that it's an option to do that. And it's, it's a lot better of an option than cheating, Yeah, being monogamous, but not actually because you're cheating.
1: Welcome to Normalizing Non Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non monogamy to hear their funny, sexy, and fascinating stories as they take us on their journey. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non monogamy.
2: However, everyone approaches it a little differently, and at its core our show is about hearing, highlighting, and learning from the different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, It is important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect those of our own.
1: So sit back, relax, and just accept the fact that your time with us will be spent in an awkward turmoil of laughter and arousal. We should also let you know that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language.
2: If that kind of thing offends you, we suggest you keep listening until it no longer does. If you're under 18, you either need to stop listening or go get your parents and you can listen as a family.
1: The choice is yours. Enjoy! Hi everyone, welcome to episode 8. I'm Emma.
2: And I'm Finn.
1: (laughs) And today we interview, on today's show we interview Samantha and Aaron, who we were introduced to from some other friends of ours, and they are both in the swinging and the polyamorous communities.
2: So it's a really fun interview. We get to hear about the crossover between those two, uh, their viewpoints and their experiences in both worlds, which is kind of a unique opportunity and we're We had a really awesome talk with them. Mm -hmm. It runs a little longer than normal, but it's definitely worth sticking around because they cover or we cover a lot of really good information.
1: Yes, for sure. Also, we wanted to mention a couple things up front here. We, as you may have noticed, we changed up the intro a little bit uh, to our podcast, and that was based on some feedback we got, uh, nothing related to this episode or any other episodes that we've recorded, just something we wanted to add.
2: Yeah, if in in case you're not sure what we're talking about, we added just a little piece about the opinions on the show of our guests do not reflect our own. That, it was Again, it was some feedback that we got from other people. And we wanted to say thank you to anybody out there who has sent us feedback. We definitely take mm-hmm. it into account, and we really appreciate it because our goal here is to continue to make the show better and better every week for you guys. So thank you to anyone who's given us feedback.
1: Yes. We also had a couple people sign up with our uh, Cassie link on our website. And
2: some of them even left us a review, so they got a 90-day free trial. So if you want some of that goodness,
1: yes, go to our
2: website, <laughs>
1: which is normalizingnonmonogamy.com
2: and leave us, uh, uh, use the link, sign up for Cassidy, and then go over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review.
1: The other resource quickly on our website that we wanted to mention is STD Test Express. And uh, that is a great resource for anyone wanting to get tested. Uh, it's easy and fast and much easier than sometimes having that awkward conversation with your doctor.
2: Yep. So go check those out. They're on the resources page. Also on our website for every show that we do will be a show notes page um, where anything that we talk about on the show, whether it's a book, another podcast, uh, anything where you guys might need to go look something up, there'll be a link there. So if something comes up, you don't have to write it down while you're driving. Just check out our website and it'll be there.
1: And finally, you can also find us on Twitter or Cassidy under the screen name NNM Podcast.
2: And now we'll stop rambling so you can hear the stuff you <laughs> actually came here for, and we'll head on over to the show. All right, hi guys, we're here with Samantha and Aaron, some new friends of ours that were introduced to us through other guests on the show a little while back, and they have a really unique approach to the non-monogamy lifestyle that we've not really seen before. So we're going to turn it over to them at this point to give us a little bit of background on how they got into this and how they approach it. Um, And also just to briefly introduce themselves before that.
0: Um, Hi, I'm Samantha. I am 33 years old. I've been poly for four years and um, Aaron and I have been together for three years.
3: Hi, I'm Aaron. Um, I've been poly for, oh, I'm sorry. I'm 35. (laughs) Um, I've been, um, poly specifically for about, um, for almost five years. Um, but was also like a a swinger in previous relationship before that, um, for a couple of years. So non-monogamous for, you know, going about six years. It sounds like you
2: guys explored non-monogamy a little before you met each other. Do you mind talking a little bit about maybe your individual stories and how they came together.
3: Um, yeah. So Samantha wants me to go first. I'll go first. Um, (laughs) the, so uh, as I mentioned, you know, I was in a a previous relationship and that was a uh, monogamous one. I'd gotten married at, um, 19, started a family and it was great and, um, have a lot of good years there. And, um, had, I don't know, like I said, about six years back or so, um, the The idea of swinging and um, we kind of came up in conversation and, and she would asked about it my uh you know wife at the time, and I wasn't opposed to it. We were generally pretty open laid back people um and we like I said, we got married young we were we were kind of like go getters and do it our own way, um just from the get go, kind of like you know throw the scripts to the wind and yeah do what do what we want mm-hmm. right yeah, no that saw <laughs> um, well. so she approached you about it originally. Yeah, she did. And it actually just came up. It was actually funny because, of course, when you're at swingers events and everything, everyone asks, like, so who brought it up? Yeah. How did you guys get started, right? That's always the icebreaker questions. Um, And, yeah, we were just laying in bed one night, and she said, have you ever thought about having sex with other people? (laughs) And I was like, well, of course I've thought about it. Like, (laughs) everyone thinks about it. Right, right. Uh, Why do you ask? (laughs) And then she's like, would you like to try swinging? And um, I was like, I'd think so let me uh, i mean this is kind of how i answer these things i kind of like say yes before i really think about my own feelings in it but i, I was genuinely open to it i you know we were um uh, it, it was exciting to think about um for us and so we actually like within the next couple of weeks went to um a club that was um nearby where we lived uh, wasn't too far of a drive and um uh, this was in october actually so it was actually a, few weeks before halloween and so this club was having you know like a, a newbies you know or so a s- welcoming night swingers club yeah right. swingers club i'm sorry yeah should, should have made that clear it, I, th- it was, I think halloween's like the national swinger holiday but <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> whether,
0: whether you're a swinger or not right. Yeah. right yeah
3: yeah um so yeah we went there a couple of weeks before and we just kind of scoped it out and you know we met some people and just talked and then we Um, And then we're like, that was really fun. It was a much different environment than we thought it was going to be. Everyone's really welcoming. It wasn't as predatory um, or as pushy as one might think when you think about swingers. Yeah. yeah. We do like getting out to clubs normally and dancing. And that normal club scene is just not nearly as respectful or (laughs) kind and genuine as what we found swingers clubs to be. So suddenly we were like, this is our new favorite place to go, even if we just want to dance. Yeah, yeah no, no, we can relate I, to that, too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, so you guys didn't know anybody, have any friends or that you knew of that were swingers before this, right?
3: No, I, we did not. Okay. No. Yeah, so we, anyhow, I, we went to, we went back for Halloween, right? And that was a big party, and that was really fun. And that started the swinging um, process for us. That was good. That would, I mean, that went um, pretty well for, like, a little over a year, almost two years, um, and then we met um, and made a lot of friends and you know, in, in that lifestyle and just kind of got our footing in that. The I guess transition for me from swinging to poly or um, you know just different types of non monogamy because swinging we were very much you're still coupled and we were doing everything together and you know that kind of thing. Where polyamorous is more you know exploring relationships with others or intimate feelings or emotions with with other people. So. I hadn't really even thought about that or heard all that much about it until we met a couple at, at the club that expressed that they were polyamorous. And we we're like, oh, really? Tell us more about that. The short version of the story without you know disclosing all the things that I mean, everyone kind of has their own process in previous relationships. And the, the piece we'll share is that the uh, non-monogamy approach or swinging or exploring polyamory with um my, my now um, ex she it taught us a lot about ourselves and it and it really like held a magnifying glass up to all the little issues that we had in the way that we communicated and unhealthy codependencies I began to realize the the ways that um, her mental health um, concerns and conditions were actually negatively playing out in how she was respecting my needs and desires and kind of riding those roller coasters. So there's a long story there, but ultimately that relationship um, didn't work out. And, you know, I needed to end that relationship. Um, right. She met someone else in Polly and seems happy with him now. And um, and through that process of being poly towards the end of that relationship, I was, I dated other people and that's actually how I initially met Samantha was during that dating process. And we, um, you know, right. we've, continue dating. <laughs> so.
2: I think maybe it's uh, a natural or a knee-jerk reaction to people, especially people who want to take a negative approach to this lifestyle to say, oh, well, it was the fact that you were poly or the fact that you started swinging that ultimately was what ended your relationship or caused that to happen. And would you say that that's a uh, was a factor or was it just it highlighted maybe the things that weren't a good fit. I don't know. I don't know the best way to ask that. I just, yeah. No, yeah that's... I, I think what people like to say is, Oh, well, they were swingers cause they had a bad relationship and then it caused them to get a divorce. Yeah. And it's not usually that simple.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think that that's, I mean, that's a fair question. And, and I definitely think it was a factor. Um, however I don't think it was the cause. Um, like you said that, you know, that there's always multiple reasons why relationships don't work out. It's not like this one thing, you know, it usually builds up and, um, and and you're either like growing together and, and growing through those issues or you're growing apart in them. Right. Uh, I think that non-monogamy in general, whether swingers or poly or, you know, just the, all the, all the ways in between, it requires that you have very healthy communication um, and that each party is um, able to express their needs and wants um, in a healthy and safe space in a healthy and safe way, if, and, and then have that be respected, even if they don't line up. you know, Maybe one person wants one thing and another person doesn't want that or wants a different thing, but that should be able to be talked about. If those types of things can't be talked about, it actually becomes, I think in non-monogamy, it becomes really obvious because there's a lot that you're going to have to talk about. But what it definitely taught me that through that process is that, yes, non-monogamy was a factor and it showed me how muted I was in my own emotions uh, and how I was not good at all about advocating for my own needs and feelings um, or even verbalizing them. (laughs) Those are all things that I learned. And so that process is actually, you know, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, those are actually really healthy life skills, and everyone kind of comes from different backgrounds and is trying to unlearn some unhealthy habits and unhealthy like communication styles and things like that, so that they can be healthy, whole individuals. Yeah, I do think that non-monogamy is kind of like trial by fire. <laughs> um, you're yeah. either you're going to learn and grow through it or you'll, you know, or, or you'll decide it's not for you and go back. And that doesn't mean that you can't continue to learn and grow. Even if you like go back to monogamy or stay monogamous, that's not bad, but that self-reflection is it it's required and you won't get by without doing it. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, And if it it may not
1: have happened, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If it may not have happened, you know, through the swinging and non-monogamy at that time, it may have happened 10 years in the future.
3: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, and and it could have been something else that triggered it, you know, that, oh, I shouldn't say triggered, but, you know, brought started that growth. And like I said, you either grow together in it because you have the tools to do so, right. or, you, or you grow apart. And that's, that's really true for monogamous relationships too. And everyone likes to talk about, you know, oh, well, opening up, of course it's going to end your relationship. It's like, well, relationships, a lot of relationships end. And that's the reality of it. And we like <laughs> yeah, to think yeah, that absolutely. This, this story that, Lots of people stay together, but that's, I mean, just tracking divorce rates, we we know that's not true. Right. Whether monogamous or not. Right. Right. No, absolutely.
1: Just like Dan Savage says, you know, a relation, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean that it was a bad one.
2: Right. Or that it was a failure. Right. 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 (laughs) Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I know it's a fairly intimate question to ask. I really appreciate the the honesty on that.
3: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
2: So on, on your side, Samantha, how, I guess, what brought you to, to where you guys are today?
0: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I like the, what you brought up, Emma, the Dan Savage quote, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it was a failure or a bad relationship because I truly believe that, you know, I, I was in a monogamous marriage as well before meeting Aaron. We have been together for five years and during that time it it was a good relationship and you know we we were happy together and and had a lot of good times and then you know kind of started growing apart a little bit and mm-hmm. and that was you know during that time i was attending a a meetup group that was a sec, uh, sexology discussion group and so i was kind of meeting people and and hearing about different perspectives on relationships, different perspectives on sexuality. And I, you know, I grew up in a pretty conservative household and, you know, kind of a a religious conservative household and monogamy was the only relationship style that I knew about that. That was the case when I got married as well. You know, that, that seemed like the way to go. That was what, you know, the only thing I knew and, and what I, what I wanted at the time. And so kind of through the discussion group, I started to become exposed to other alternative options. Right.
2: And, you know, and honestly, I don't think, I mean, I grew up in a fairly liberal home and
1: mm-hmm, me too. E-
2: even in that environment, it's not like we were learning about this, you know, at our, no. we didn't sit around and talk about it at the dinner table. So <laughs> I think it's not something that's common in anyone's relationship or upbringing, unless I guess that maybe they're brought up.
1: Let's and, uh, say if their parents uh, yeah. practice non-monogamy of some yeah. sort and teach their children about it, I think that mm-hmm. may be, uh, I guess, the way children learn about it. But in general, no, I don't think it's taught. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I agree. And, um, you know, in my family growing up, there was a lot of divorce. And, I mean, what I what I saw was a lot of, examples of unhappy monogamous relationships or monogamous relationships that didn't work out and so it wasn't all bad but i guess you know i was it was it was kind of interesting and refreshing when i learned about some alternative options yeah um so so at the discussion group i met someone who was polyamorous and you know that was where i first learned the term and you know, it, it really blew my mind. I, you know, I, I really couldn't wrap my mind around it when I first, you know, when I first learned about it, but, you know, during that time period, I was doing a lot of, I don't know, seeking and growing and learning things about my sexuality, things about this, these different relationship ideas. And I read the book sex at dawn mm-hmm and the book, The Ethical Slut. Yep. Yeah. And the book, Mating in Captivity. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> all good books,
0: all good stuff. And it was really informative. And, um, through that process, I started to become, you know, kind of got my mind wrapped around the idea of non-monogamy, you know, generally. And, and then it's the more I read and the more I thought about it, the more sense it made to me. And it felt, true, like the idea of being able to have intimate and possibly loving connections with more than one person felt true to me as, as a person, philosophically. I had mm-hmm. never experienced it. I didn't know, but I, it just seemed like it made sense to me. And I really liked the freedom of the idea of being able to, you know, it's like it meet someone and interact with them and acknowledge what's there mm-hmm. yeah. rather than that seemed like such an open possibility rather than kind of boxing, feeling boxed into this person that you're married to is the one person that you can have romance with. It's the one person that you can have intimacy at that level with no one else. You know, you can't do that with anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so, the idea was 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 really intriguing and and attractive to me. And um, in, and throughout this time, I was talking with my partner, kind of exploring those ideas together. And he he was curious about the idea, wasn't as open to it as I was, and so. You know, we, we tried to, we went to a swingers club a few times, uh, cause he wanted to see how he felt about it. And and we both did, we had never experienced, you know, we knew about it in theory, but we didn't know about it in practice. Right. Went to, um, you know, tried out a little bit of, of swinging and he, I, I loved it. And he ultimately felt like it wasn't for him. Okay. He felt much more monogamously geared.
2: So you guys, you had gone to these um, discussions and workshops while you guys were together. Yes. And took the ideas back to him and then approached it, went to a swinging event or club.
0: Right, right. Exactly. Like there was probably a two-year time span from when, well, let me see. There was probably a three-year time span from when I first learned about non-monogamy and began to think about it. And of course, discuss it with my partner at the time until he and I actually decided, okay, like, let's, let's try this out and see how we feel. Mm -hmm. And, and by trying it out, it wasn't that we went full, full into polyamory. We went to a swingers club and all we did was dance and just kind of we were in the environment, observing, looking around, seeing what it was all about. Right. And then the next time we went to a swingers club and we kissed another couple and that was it. And we did that a few more times. And each time we kind of talked about it with each other, how we felt. And I was having a great time. It, it, he, he was too, to an extent. But that process kind of brought to the forefront that we were realizing we were on different pages, not just with the non-monogamy piece, but sort of with a few other th- things as well. We were kind of growing into different different perspectives mm-hmm. um, on our life goals and and things like that. So through that process, we decided to separate. And during that period of separation, I was exploring more with polyamory and dating other people to see, you know, if this is really something that I wanted to do. And, um, so the thing, the thing with, with polyamory is, like I said, in theory, it, it seemed great. Mm -hmm. However, my biggest concern was stability because I, you know, I, love the idea of being able to connect with different people and having more love to go around, more connections to go around. And I am someone who really values stability and wants to have, you know, I value commitment and want to have that with someone. So I, I wasn't sure if polyamory would allow that. Or if it would be more free flowing, like you just kind of connect with different people at different times and it's not really like a consistent or stable thing. That was a big question I had. And, um, you know, I taught, I actually talked with my, some of my family not my mom at the time about it. And that was one of her main concerns as well, you know, from, from her perspective, which I think is not uncommon for different generations. Yeah. She, was worried about me kind of not having, not having that stability. And, um, so uh,
1: just a minute, did she, uh, you're doing fine by the way you're doing great. (laughs) Um, did she, I guess she was, she said she was worried, but did she overall, at least be open to having the conversation with you? Well, was she open Or I guess, did she react negatively at all other than showing her concern for for you of of being um, worried about the stability and and how it's going to affect your relationship? You know, did it did having that discussion, open and honest discussion about your relationship style with your mother affect the way she responded or even affect your relationship with her? Is maybe a better way to put it.
0: Yes, I I did not really intend to tell my mom about the fact that I was trying polyamory, but it kind of came out through a series of events. And so, yes, it, it came up and she learned about this and yes, she had a negative reaction to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, she didn't understand it. I, I mean, and, and I, I, I get it because like I said, when I first learned about Polly, I I didn't get it at all either. It really didn't make sense to me. So I, I understand that. And I didn't expect her to totally grasp it and be on board with it. But she, it did drive a wedge between us.
1: Yeah.
0: A little bit. And, you know, she didn't understand it. She was concerned about me. She, I think, felt like I might be kind of, I don't know, just going down a path that, wasn't going to put me in a good place. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And has that gotten better
0: over the yes. years? Okay. Yes. It has gotten better with my mom and to her great credit, she still says she, she doesn't understand it. You know, we, we've had many conversations where I try to explain the concept to her and, and everything. And she's, you know, still says she just fundamentally doesn't understand it. However, to her credit, she, she tries to, and is open to hearing about it. And, you know, here I am four years into it and I'm, I am stable and I am happy and it's working out okay. And so I think, you know, that allows her to feel okay with that as well and know that, you know, she may not agree with my relationship choices. However, she's happy that I'm happy and it's okay.
2: I would even say that at this point is still early on in the stages, right? I mean, considering the length of a relationship or your life, four years into it is still pretty early. I would say for someone to necessarily be one hundred percent on board with anything. So I think that you are there with her. I mean, that's that's light years ahead of where we are. <laughs> I mean, we. Oh really? We, I mean, we hide it from everybody, and I think that's probably true for most people. So I think
0: mm-hmm.
2: just the fact that you don't have to hide that is. That's really awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that, and I totally agree. I, I feel really happy and and grateful about the fact that I I, I mean I'm out to my mom, my dad, um, you know, a couple of my grandparents, and most of my friends, and I I know that a lot of people don't feel that they have that luxury or haven't gotten to that point, and and so you know I. I'm appreciative that I have been able to do that. And I've had mostly positive reactions,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, overall. Right.
1: I think this podcast is our starting point to, to hopefully you yeah. get more comfortable, get there eventually. I,
2: no, I mean, that's, I guess. So maybe, and to just a brief, su- to summarize sort of the, the contrast between the way that you guys both got into it. It sounds like I'm on your side, Samantha, it was more of a, exploration of the relationship types and that swinging was just the way the gateway to polyamory maybe I don't know if that's a good way to say it but on on Aaron's side it was a very sort of blunt like what do you think about having sex with other people it sounds like it was a little bit different approach at the beginning but yet you guys have kind of come to a a similar place or obviously found yourselves together so you're not not that far apart. Yeah,
3: yeah, different starting points, and uh, yeah, and that's that's something that um, I actually think that Samantha's approach of exploring all that and doing the reading and all that stuff—that's that's a much better approach. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that when uh, you just kind of dive in, you know, you I, and. Max and I, we were one of those couples and we met plenty of other ones who just, they dive into swinging and they're like, oh man, we've heard about it and this is great and it's fun and it's, and it's exciting. And then you kind of like, you wait to address the issues that are coming up until they've kind of built up enough to, to become a problem. And and then when we went from, you know, the idea of swinging to polyamory, it was really, um, it was <clears throat> because uh, my wife at the time met someone that she was, interested in doing that with we, through the swinging lifestyle. We met um, another couple that was, you know, they were more poly and wanted to build more of a polyamorous relationship with people. And um, so of course we being open and very laid back, I'm like, well, oh, yeah, I think that's okay. I was initially reluctant to thinking like, well, you know, what does this poly thing really look like? I, I think my suggestion or if I could go back and give myself advice would be to say, okay, we can do that, but let's not just jump right into it with this person you met. Um, I think that's kind of akin to when you meet people who are like, well, there was something wrong with our relationship, so we tried swinging, or hey, I met this really cool person. Uh, Can we be open now because I like them? It's kind of like, oh, that's really the wrong reason to open up, and there's probably some reasons why um, they're seeking um, that elsewhere. And that doesn't mean it's always going to end, but if you... Approach it like honestly, and you can both talk about what it is maybe that you're wanting. Yeah. Uh, in those other relationships, that process, that communication process, and learning process is very important. Yeah. Um, and you either do that by diving in and you know <laughs> learning it, uh, it, it, you know, in kind of a, well, end up being kind of a messy way for me, honestly. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or take Samantha's approach where you do the reading, you decide that this is more of a mindset that you want to live by or, or this is more um, genuinely um, your approach to relationships anyways so and then you explore it you know more responsibly right yeah. so have you guys
2: since you both kind of had a blend of poly and swinger in your backgrounds when you guys came together did you sort of keep that blend or have you guys gravitated more towards one one side or the other at, at this point
0: well, when Aaron and I met, we were more focused on polyamory. We met each other on a website for polyamorous dating. It's polymatchmaker.com. And we were both dating other people. <laughs> Aaron was still with his ex. And so she was his more primary partner. And I was dating him as more of a secondary I know not everyone uses those hierarchical terms.
3: and Yeah, that, I mean, that was our
0: dynamic at the time. That, so that was, was that dynamic confused. at the time, yeah. And, and also, we were long distance. Yeah. So we, were, we lived about two hours apart at the time. So it was more focused on Polly at the time, and then about a year and a half into our relationship, and that was during the time frame when Aaron was splitting up with his ex and so the dynamic there were there were a lot of changes in the the dynamic between us and the dynamics he had and and so you know a, a year and a half into it we we moved in together so we were no longer long distance and we were still pretty poly at the time but what was interesting is that once we lived together we realized that we were actually more interested in dating together, like dating other couples as a couple, because we really enjoyed spending time together and wanted more of that since we had kind of been long distance for so long, we kind of were still couldn't get enough of each other and, and mm-hmm. wanted to mm-hmm. <laughs> spend right. spend more time together rather than apart. Yeah. And so through that, you know, period of initially living together, we started to become more focused on swinging In the sense of meeting other couples together as a couple and making friends. I mean, when we say swinging, it's not, it's not just about sex. It's more like making friends together Mm -hmm. that we play with Mm -hmm. if everyone wants to, uh, we, you know, we've also met other couples on a swinger website where it's like, Hey, you know, you guys are awesome. Let's hang out. And then we don't actually end up playing together. And that's cool too. We've done that too. Yeah yeah and so so that that's been more of our focus, although we still are I mean we still definitely consider ourselves polyamorous and we still do date separately however, it's more of realizing at this stage in our relationship given that we're still somewhat in a new I consider our relationship still somewhat new yeah. where we're more focused on swinging right. and and it, that may change you know say, three years from now, five years from now, we may say, all right, you know, we feel like we have a little bit more time where we can go on dates separately from each other. And that feels okay. And we're totally, you know, open to that dynamic being whatever makes sense for us at the stage that we're in.
3: Yeah. And that's actually something that I feel like we've been able to do really well together. And I think it's because of the communication tools that I, you know, had to learn (laughs) and realized I didn't have at all. Um, and the ones that, Samantha just has naturally. I don't know. <laughs> she seems at them, but um, we've been able to talk through that. And one of the things I like about the name of your guys' podcast is it was normalizing non-monogamy. And non-monogamy is that umbrella term that I actually like better because I've met a lot of people who are swingers who define swinging in a very certain way, and then a lot of people who are polyamorous who define it a certain way, and um, there's so much crossover between those communities. And honestly, I see it as one big community. Uh, everyone's saying, well, I'm a swinger. I don't want any of that romance, but we definitely like to be friends and hang out and go to each other's like, you know, re- you know, events and this and that. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a relationship, but yeah. you've, what you've done is put expectation, you have communicated expectations, boundaries, yeah, um, yeah. and, and, you know, kind of communicate those clearly. And so, in, in all of those, whether you label it swinger, polyamorous, it, it's all about being able to communicate your uh, intentions, your desires, your expectations, having healthy boundaries, um, and, and being able to, to apply those reliably, which makes you a trustworthy person. So, so, Samantha and I, because we have both kind of dabbled in all those different quote unquote lifestyles, it, it really feels like one lifestyle, at least for me. Um, and we have people that we've met in at swinging events who were, are, we're now really good friends with, and I almost consider our relationship with them more polyamorous and then we've, you know, met people who are polyamorous, but, you know, just because of the context or whatever else we've hung out casually with them and, you know, um, just that's how much time you have to, to make. And so it has everything to do with, with just communicating those, like I said, intentions and so, We've been able to do that, and and those intentions can be fluid; it can change. Well, I, I guess it you kind of uh, ran over the question I was going to ask,
2: which is making oh, my no, it's making my job really easy because <laughs> the the question was that we had talked about before talking to you guys was, what do you guys, as people who have been in the poly world and in the swinging world, where do you really see a difference between, hey, we like to make really good friends who we have sex with, like what? what's the difference between that and an actual relationship or a poly relationship. And it, it sounds like for you guys, the line is not really, def- it's sort of like, why do we need to put a label on it? And so that's, I mean, that's, that's really kind of cool. I don't know. That's sort of what I took away from what you said. I don't know if that's what you intended to say, but
3: yeah, I'm always kind of ranting about labels, not being very useful most of the time, but yeah. Samantha, man. She's, she's more comfortable with labels than, than I usually am. But yeah, she's fine. It's like, well, call me whatever you want. Like I know what I am where yeah. I get, well, I take it a little more personally and <laughs> I'm like, no, don't, don't misunderstand me by p- applying a label that you're making assumptions about. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think
1: that's why we wanted to call this normalizing non-monogamy too, and not, yeah. not try to focus it in on certain swinger swinging or polyamorous relationships or the other types of, you know, triads um, that people right. may have worked, you know, work yeah. as well. So uh, and
2: And I'm sure there's people out there who will listen to this and say, "Oh well, there's a huge distinction between those and that's fine I don't i I can't really disagree with that. I just for some people, it seems like that line's not real distinct, and others it probably is I guess it's really all about how you see it within your own relationship and within yourself,
1: yeah, how you personally identify and the, yeah
3: yeah I think, yeah I think i mean the 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 terms and definitions are useful because it helps people communicate about a particular approach to lifestyle. So, um, but I think one of the things, I think it was at a Mark group or something, the quote that they use about like these details should be descriptive, not not prescriptive. And yeah, so I, I feel like that I was, I actually found that to make a lot of sense where it's like, yes, I can say, you know, I'm, Aaron from such and such location and I was born in this area and I do this and this for work and people might make a lot of assumptions about that and that's okay uh, and they might jump to a lot of conclusions about what kind of person I am or whatever else but as long as they know that those conclusions are like descriptive and they could change and morph as soon as they're given more information about me and it's not like oh I know exactly what Aaron is all about yeah I've summed up my mind's made up I'll never change it (laughs) yeah (laughs) right there, there's that just having that general open-minded approach right. as you're receiving information, especially about other human beings, like individuals who are very com- We're all very complex. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Peoples.
1: And you throw sex in there and it makes it even more complex. <laughs>
3: exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think in terms
0: of my perspective on the difference between swinging and poly, I think more often than not swinger couples that we've met only play together. That's, that's a more common distinction where, you know, it's like they don't, they're not open to breaking off separately. Like whatever they're doing, they're doing it together as a couple versus poly, It's pretty much standard that, you know, you, you break off and and go, um, on separate dates. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, not always, even under that there's, there's all different ways that you could decide to, to do that. Um, And the other difference I've noticed is swingers tend to be sex is a more primary focus or no, not not a more primary. Sex is a primary focus with swinging, Mm -hmm. which it may not be with poly. Sure. yeah, Sure.
1: I think that's a fair
2: description. Yeah. I guess at the core level, you could say, well, we're swingers and we met these people through swinging, but we've never had sex with them. So therefore... We haven't ever swung with them. We just hung out with them, right? I guess maybe the, sure. the sex is what takes you over
3: that line into now you're a swinger.
1: Maybe, yeah.
3: I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also lots of people who would, have... anyhow. This is why it's yeah. It's, it's <laughs> <tough>. But <laughs> it could, it a could be a five-hour discussion, are... right? And... <laughs> they're in the lifestyle, and they, you know, they they just like the flirtiness of it. They right. like yeah. to events where they can. Be in a in a just a sexy outfit or or dress up for the themed event and do that fun swinger event. I I would still say that they count. I mean, they're in the community. They're swingers.
0: Yeah, Um, I would
3: agree with that too. So
2: everything I just said was wrong. I apologize. (laughs) I don't mean to offend any swingers
3: or poly people.
1: (laughs) We're just having a discussion. No, no, I know.
3: I I think it's just like anything else. Like if if someone you know, you let people self-identify. And okay. you don't try to, and you don't try to tell them that they are one thing or another. Right. Um,
1: I think that's the main point we're all trying to make.
2: <laughs> so one other question I had sort of about the blend between the two and that you guys are sort of in both worlds. Do you ever see any pushback when, let's say, you go on a date with somebody for more of a poly dynamic that they look at and say, Oh, well, you're a swinger. I'm not really comfortable with that or vice versa. You go to meet some swingers and they're not really comfortable with the fact that you guys are also into poly. Do you ever see any pushback from either side or negative feedback maybe is a better term?
0: I really haven't gotten a lot of pushback or negative reactions about that. I, you know, it's, I, I like to be open about, about it. So for instance, if we meet up with uh, a couple that we met on the Swinger website and we get together and we disclose that we're also poly, you know, they may say, oh, well, we're not poly. You know, we're not open to that. We only date together and we are just interested in swinging. And then we say, cool, like, that's great. You know, we would love to interact with you guys on that level. And usually that's pretty much the end of that. You know, it doesn't, they, 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 don't feel pressure. We don't, you know, feel any need to, to take it further on that side, or it might just be an interesting discussion where, where they, you know, we can learn from each other's experiences. So that's on a, a personal level. Yeah. I haven't gotten any pushback on it. I will say that, so there's a, a, swingers social group that I've gone to for, for, for women. Um, it happens once a month and I've gone to it a few times
1: and,
2: is that Girls Uncorked? Is that... Yes. Okay. Just for yeah. anybody out there who's looking for that, I think it's a pretty good resource.
1: I think they have them all over the country. Yeah.
0: Right, right. It's great. It's fabulous. The, the one I go to is um, very well attended. It's a really wonderful group of women. And I have, you know, when I introduce myself there, I say, I'm a swinger and I'm Polly. And yeah, I... I've been surprised that other people are surprised by that other, other the <laughs> women there are surprised by that. So maybe I've gotten some negative reactions from that, but, but mostly it's just that people want to learn about it. Yeah. yeah. They're curious, curious. Yeah.
3: Yeah. For me, I mean, I would, I would say similar, especially in swinging community. And I think, I think in general, I think it has a lot to do with how we approach things anyways, where sometimes you meet couples and they're very kind of like forward, they are pushy and what they want or, that kind of thing, but we're we're not that. So when people meet us, we we meet, we chat, we learn about each other, and you, you try to create some level of connection, and you know, and explore that. And so in those situations with in the swing community, I feel like that, like you said, they're mostly curious. For me, I have I, I wouldn't say it's you know directly negative toward me, but I have had conversations with with um, people in, in, that are polyamorous and, and don't really agree with the idea of swinging because they have the um well i mean for all their own reasons but my my understanding is that they have the the perspective that it's just about sex and there's no friendships and that kind of thing and so they tend to avoid those communities because they want to date and build a, a more meaningful relationship um, which is great and that makes sense but they have you know in conversations with them they do kind of have like a just a perspective of swingers that I think isn't always fair or true, just because of the wide, just the, all the differences or you know, different ways that people approach swinging. Right. Uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's just some misunderstandings about the fact that in each of those communities, polyamorous and swinging and, and non monogamy, non monogamy, kind of overarching all of those, everyone approaches it differently. And they all kind of randomly pick labels that maybe they, well, I shouldn't say randomly, they pick labels that they feel they identify with. And then again, those should be descriptive, not prescriptive. And then you should just talk to the person and see, well, how do you approach swinging? Wow. That sounds exactly like polyamory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, how do you approach polyamory? Well, I, some people are like, well, I have one, you know, anchor partner or, or someone that I've been with for a little while, but I really enjoy, you know, just new relationship energy and meeting people and, and, you know, and, and then moving on to the next, like I've met some people that way too. And I'm like, oh, you're, you're a swinger. Like, <laughs> but, but of course they would be offended by that label. So it's, you know, again, it's like you let people self-identify. But yeah. I think there are generally sometimes misconceptions because people, uh, because they make assumptions about what that label means.
2: Right. Yeah. I feel like if I, if I was going to project myself into The body of a poly person talking to a swinger person, one of the things that I guess I would have thought came up more was the the topic of safety and maybe that because you're swinging and you don't have that level of connection that you're exposed to more risk of contracting you know STIs or some type of something undesirable. Maybe it,
1: one would ap- would assume yeah. that you're more active, like you're sleeping with more people swinging than Polly, yeah. but that may not necessarily be true.
2: Uh, not that you're sleeping with more, but that the connection isn't there to vet them as well. And yeah, that's true. I guess yeah, you know, we know personally that that's a, not necessarily a true stereotype. But I guess have you guys experienced any of that within that crossover? Sorry, all our questions are about the crossover point <laughs> of the Venn diagram and swinging and
3: poly. <laughs> I think we've been, well, I mean, I'll let Samantha answer too, but I think we've been pretty fortunate that pretty much everyone we've met that's in the poly community and honestly the swinger community, they're, they're pretty well educated about those types of risks and the ways to prevent them and the conversations you should have beforehand. So, risky behaviors during, during interactions you know with other people are risky whether you're poly or swinging um i think that to, to your question and i think in both communities that's understood and so you kind of talk to people about like well you know you have the safer sex conversation before you interact with someone you ask about their test results you you use barriers in ways that everyone agrees with like just if you're having those conversations whether swinging or poly it's like that's honestly, the most you can do. <laughs> right, so, right. Um, whether you just met them or, no, we've been going out for six months, but even Polly, they have partners that have partners and, you know, unless you go through this long interview and, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it, like, um, process to vet everyone and all their partners, and there's a certain level of risk that everyone understands and, and yeah. they kind of have the same checklist of things that make them feel comfortable with someone. Yeah. I've found that in both communities. I think you just... You're so
2: much more aware. And I think.
0: Yes. Like this yeah. is
2: a conversation that we have. Like if, if we were going to meet you guys and play with you guys, we would have this conversation. And we right. would be aware of this. If I was some single guy at a bar and I meet a girl and I'm like, OK, she actually wants to sleep with me. Oh, well, let's talk about let's talk about our STD testing process and like let's kill that mood. I just don't think it happens in single world.
3: Yeah, that it's it's a taboo subject. It, it's not normalized uh, as far as, like, how to approach that. And even your comment about, like, oh, it would kill the mood. It's, like, that's unfortunate that we've... Right. Mm-hmm. Society sees it that, that way. But but I totally understand. I would feel like it would kind of, like, interrupt that in that situation, too. But it's, like, yeah, I, I really wish we could change that. It needs to change. It needs to be a, a more normal conversation. Like yeah hey, here's how I protect and here's the things I do for, you know, to stay safe in it. And and not only ask- that, but yeah. even
2: if you were willing to have that conversation, I would bet if you went into any bar on any given night and went down the the bar and asked everybody the last time they were tested, right? some of them I'm sure have never been tested unless they had a scare of some kind and then they went and got tested to see what they had. For us, I mean, we get tested every six months, depending on what's going on. Yeah, and
1: sometimes more frequently. Depending. I know a lot
2: of people who do it even more frequently than that. And so right. to, to say, hey, you're at more of a risk, I'm like, I feel like I'm at less of a risk, honestly, because I know what's going on around me and I'm not afraid to ask these people.
1: Less of a risk than if you were out. Yeah, if I was thing,
2: just yeah. out mingling in the in the normal dating world. So.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, um, like it's interesting that the STI conversation, because when I first, I I almost forget about it because it's not, we have our approach to it about how we manage risk and it's really Mm -hmm. not an issue otherwise. Like we kind of just make sure to ask the questions and then we get tested regularly and we don't really worry a lot about it. Mm -hmm. Um, However, that was not the case. That wasn't the case for me when I first started poly and swinging. And, you know, it, it also wasn't really the case at the beginning of our relationship. I'm
3: trying to remember actually, but. You know, we had had test results. We talked about that. With us.
0: Well, I mean, I, I guess w- w- in terms of the um, anxiety about it, like, well, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. Cause I don't okay. know exactly how it was for you. For, for me, when you know, first started non-monogamy. I had a ton of anxiety about getting an STI or putting myself at risk for getting an STI, and you know, I had to work through that and learn more about the transmission, you know, how transmission happens, how much risk there is, start getting tested regularly, kind of get used to that process um, of interacting with doctors and requesting a test because not all doctors are super sex positive about that kind of thing, (laughs) unfortunately, yep. Um, you know, it took me a little while to figure out how best to manage my own sexual health in that way. And that's one of the things that I I do feel like I have gained from non-monogamy is learning how to do that. And I feel a lot more confident in it now. Like you were saying, I feel like I know more what's going on with my own body and I feel more confident in how to manage the risk around my sexual health in
2: my opinion it's a it's a damn shame that not not that this is a negative approach to it but it's a shame that one has to find their way into a subculture so to speak
1: of non monogamy
2: to yeah non monogamy for that to be the case right it's it just sucks that in our society we don't have these skills taught to us
0: mm-hmm. or
2: normalized you know why like why is it section, that we have yeah. to do this to get to the point the where order. we're capable of having these conversations with our doctor, and learning about getting tested and having the conversation with people, I don't know. It just yeah. kind of pisses me off. It's well, like it gets
1: back to sex education, which is a whole yeah, rabbit hole we could hole. go down. down about that too, yeah. but. That's
0: yeah. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. You know, and it's. I hope that the from the healthcare perspective, I hope it's changing because I had some pretty terrible interactions with one doctor in particular around this whole getting tested issue. And, you know, it's just that there needs to be the, the mentality needs to change. And yeah. there's still a lot of slut shaming that goes on even in the medical community mm-hmm. and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah I uh, had the, the joy of when I told him, when I asked my doctor the first time I said, well, you know, when you do the blood test, can you also test for STIs and stuff? And he's like, Oh, having some extracurricular activities are we and i was like yeah both of us are to- <laughs> right. to- together and he's like oh okay and he like did it and and uh, from that point on like we found another way to do it we do it online now there's ways to do it where you just fill it out online and
1: go give your blood yeah,
2: it's so much easier you don't have to deal with some shitty doctor judging you about it and i didn't know that was an option i just yeah. learned something. yeah, yeah. Well, What's this site? <laughs> I don't want to shamelessly plug our affiliates <laughs> okay, here, <sorry>. but <laughs> no, <you're good.
1: laughs>
2: no, it's called STD test express. Really? I think yeah. we started
1: using I it. About that it.
0: Really on yeah.
2: Too. Okay. Yeah, no, we love it. And we so one of the things that we decided, like, if this podcast could pay for itself at some point, that'd be fantastic, but we're not just going to whore ourselves out to whatever advertising we can find. <laughs> and, <laughs> So we're just, we picked ones oh. that like we actually use and actually believe in and we've been using them for a little while. It's,
1: yeah, it's about a year. Or so we've been using them yeah. a year and a half and, and it's really easy. Like you just, yeah. you give them the information, pick the test you want. They recommended, recommend tests based on what your risk level is. You go give your blood and then, and you pay for it like a hundred bucks or so. And then you Good. get your results in like 24 hours.
3: Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Do they do urine
0: too,
2: or is it just Mm -hmm. blood? Yeah, they do the whole the whole kit and caboodle.
1: Well, and
0: and I will say, just to not be totally negative on the medical community, is that you know I did have, like I said, one very bad experience with a doctor, (laughs) but since then I've interacted with several gynecologists who have been great. Right. So you know, my current gynecologist is very sex positive. Doesn't doesn't drill me or ask questions you know she does the test and you know so yeah.
1: that's been my experience too my doctor's yeah. been good about it so and once mm-hmm.
2: and once this podcast is part of the medical curriculum at all major universities <laughs> hopefully hopefully we can break down some of those barriers
0: so.
1: right right <laughs>
2: so yeah your homework tonight is to binge listen to seven episodes of your choosing
1: <laughs> we can only hope yeah
0: Yeah, totally. And, and one more thing about the STI conversation is I think it's important to be with someone who has the same risk tolerance that you do
3: Yeah.
0: or be able to align your risk tolerance. Yeah. Um, because before I met Aaron, I was dating someone who had a much lower risk tolerance than I did and not not that i feel like i have a very high risk tolerance but you know he wanted to see sti test results before interacting with someone and he kind of wanted to go through more steps to to make sure so so that's what we did for our relationship because that was you know the lowest the lowest risk tolerance is the one that you yeah. mm-hmm. you, you go to and that you know that that was fine However, it, it has been easier being with Aaron, given that we both naturally kind of have the same the same risk approach. So it makes it kind of a no-brainer. Like once we kind of worked through what we were going to do to make sure we were being careful and, you know, protecting ourselves as much as possible. Now it's, it's basically a no-brainer for, for us. Yeah.
1: Well, you got to be willing to have that conversation too, is you know, what if something happens, you know, we're, we're at a higher risk, sure. Cause we're, yeah. At sleeping with more people potentially. And if something happens, we'll work through it as a couple. Like it's, it's not necessarily the end of the world, but you gotta be open to having that conversation, which is a good, big starting point. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, and I think that's where the fear based, all, all the fear and paranoia around sex, sexuality I mean, in, in this country and all the fear and paranoia around STIs, you know, I think feeds into, you know, just a, an overly fearful approach to mm-hmm. it. Because the reality is, if you do get if you do contract an STI, it, there is treatment for it. Right. right? Like in your country in this day and age, there is treatment for it. Some things are more easily treated than others. And you know, sure, you don't you don't want to contract something, and it's not, you know, you want to avoid that from happening. However, if it does happen, chances are you'll be okay, you'll get treatment, and, yeah. and you'll be So just kind of bringing that fear down, I think, was, was also helpful. Yeah, and, and
2: I think the bigger thing now is, you know, maybe 20 years ago, some of these would have been a death sentence, but now right. the, the bigger risk is really the social stigma that you have to deal with, and the fallout from that rather than a, on an actual f- purely physical health approach, yeah. you know, and right. That's so, a really
1: big positive for the medical community too. I yeah, guess we, we uh, were, we were being negative about it earlier, but they've come a long way. Oh with yeah, everything.
2: no, for sure. Yeah. So
0: absolutely. Yeah.
2: Well, cool. I guess, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about all the benefits that you guys have seen from this within your relationship. Have there been any, negative aspects or hurdles that you guys have had to overcome together? I mean, obviously there was some before you guys came together within your previous relationships, but since you've meshed together, has, have there been any hurdles?
0: Well, I would say jealousy is both a hurdle and a growth opportunity in the sense of, you know, the whole poly mindset in my mind of, you know, feelings come up, Your job is to explore those and to figure out how to, you know, how to address those feelings and meet the needs that aren't being met or that you're afraid aren't being met, um, which is triggering the jealousy. And so, you know, jealousy is definitely something that I have. I mean, you know, I've gotten better about managing it and recognizing what I need you know, to do to to feel safe and secure in my relationship. however, i I still get jealous when he's on a date with someone else so so that that that's one thing. Another thing I would say is you know there's a big thing in Polly about managing the schedule of like keeping the shared calendar up to date and navigating. Just the time management of being non monogamous because there's more things to juggle. In the past year, Aaron has had a bit more free time than I have to date because I've had a couple, you know, work plus a couple projects going on that I've been devoting more time to. So there have been weeks or months where Aaron has been going on more dates than I have. And that That's totally by choice. You know, I could go on more dates if I wanted to, but I've been sort of choosing to put time into these other pursuits. And he's been choosing to put time into meeting people and going on dates. And so there's no problem with that. However, it does bring up feelings sometimes, Yeah. either feelings of wishing that I could be going on all these dates and having fun or feelings of jealousy or things like that. So yeah, I wouldn't say that that is a problem. It's just been one more thing that came up that we talked about and kind of navigated through.
2: Yeah. Navigating that imbalance of time and energy and speaking personally, I mean, we don't really go on dates with other people, but we experience that same thing in our own relationship. (laughs) When, when one of us is way more busy at work and the other person has time to, Sit on the internet or pursue their own personal projects, and the other person has to work until ten o'clock at night. I mean, it's really the same base core feeling at the end of the day, you know. And it's Mm -hmm. just wrapped up in a different package. So I think that's to me that's a benefit. It's something that you guys have the opportunity to work through together. That I think a lot of people don't recognize that that's what's happening in their own relationship in a monogamous relationship. To say, oh well. You get to do all the fun stuff, and I have to do all the the chores and this and that. That's something that people don't recognize is an imbalance that that needs to be approached.
1: Or even if they don't, if they re- they might recognize it, they don't acknowledge it and talk about mm-hmm. it. And I think that's yeah. where you got to, because once you acknowledge it and talk about it, a lot of times you feel so much better about it, even though it's still happening and you're still kind of annoyed at the imbalance. But at yeah. least you know that you can have a conversation about it, and it's not just. You aren't sitting there stewing, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Exactly. I I totally agree. And, you know, we're both very committed to taking responsibility for our own feelings. And we're certainly not perfect at it. And it's not always easy. But the idea of taking responsibility means that, you know, if I notice that I'm feeling resentful because he's getting to do all the fun stuff and I'm here working, that means, you know, it's my responsibility to bring that up and address it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not okay for me to sit back and stew and be resentful and then come back to Aaron two weeks later and say, you know, well I'm mad because you've been doing these things when he didn't do anything wrong. wrong. You know, this is something we've both agreed to. And, you know, if I don't speak up about my feelings, then, you know, that's, that's really not on him.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So
2: it sounds like and, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. It almost sounds like it's it's not really a jealousy from the aspect that you're jealous that he's going. Is it maybe more like he's doing it now and I don't have the chance right now? I don't know. It doesn't sound like. Yes. I guess maybe in a more basic term, it's not like when you guys are in the same room having sex with another couple, you're over there jealous of him. It's it's really more of a time imbalance that it that it comes up.
0: Yes, that that's right. in that sense it's it's due to the time imbalance. There have been other times when I have been straight up jealous as well. So (laughs) that just they're all in there. But in a sense it's more it's more of the time imbalance.
2: Yeah, I think that happens to everybody though, right?
0: So
3: that's
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean it's the things you listed would say the same thing. And it's almost like, you know, I have definitely had my like times of jealousy and, and that still comes up here and there, you know, just with different interactions. And, um, but like Samantha said, that's, it's actually an opportunity to kind of, and we talked about this before where if you can do that self reflection and try to be honest with yourself about like why you're having that feeling and where that thought is coming from, it's usually, based out of fear or, or, you know, you got into a comparative mindset where you're thinking that, you know, someone else is doing something better or um, they want them, not you. And it gets into this thing that, that really, you realize you're, you're telling yourself a story that is actually not true. And if you just talk to your partner again and say, Hey, you know what? I was feeling jealous and describe it in detail. Um, if you have healthy communication style, then the other partner will probably just reassure you that that's not the case. Like, you know, they'll reassure you and in their commitment to you and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, It's great when it works that way. And and for the most part it does for us. And I definitely, in in previous relationships it didn't work, if jealousy was talked about, it actually became a, it would put the other person on the defensive. Mm -hmm. um, And then it kind of breaks down. Communication breaks down at that point. So I would say one of the the things that is important is that not just that you can talk about jealousy, but that it's also like you as a couple for your relationship make space for those conversations to happen in a supportive and caring way so that someone can bring up jealous feelings and the other person doesn't immediately say, well, how dare you feel that way? I wasn't, you know, they don't get defensive. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Say, Oh, I totally understand. And, that understanding, again, takes that self-reflection and kind of admitting to yourself that like, well, yeah, I get jealous, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I,
1: yeah.
3: Let's talk about it. <laughs> <So>. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think the, the thing that we hear over and over again when we talk to people about this is you can't communicate enough. I mean, there's right. really no such thing as over-communicating when you're doing this. And yeah. And you mentioned something just a second ago about telling yourself a story about what the other person is. You create a narrative in your head about the thing that they did that pissed you off and it made me think – there's a book called Crucial Conversations and it's really more geared towards like the business world. But one of the main pieces in that is you're continually getting frustrated more and more about something because you're creating a story about this person you work with or this person in your life that's doing something – and you're you're creating it as a negative, like they're doing it on purpose to you, when they don't even have any idea that it's happening. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a tangent there. Yeah, but I don't know. Resource. It just made me think of it, so I, I blurted it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so. I like um, yeah. I mean, it, one of the things that helps us with feeling secure and managing jealousy that we kind of discovered through some of these conversations about it is that if, you know, if either of us is going on a date with another person, we always send that person. will send the other one a message beforehand. Um, Like if we're, if we're not already together, you know um, that person will send the other person a message, reaffirming the relationship, Mm -hmm. like kind of an, an extra message more than just, Oh, Hey, love you. It'll be like, Hey, you know, I'm so happy with you and I'm totally committed to our relationship and you know, I'm, I'm really in love with you or something. We're kind of mushy gushy, uh, you know, <laughs> about all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we just lavish it on, but, but that's what we do. And that's kind of our, our thing now is that we do that check in, um, you know, every time before, you know, if I'm going to go on a date with someone or if he's going to go on a date with someone it, I don't know. It, it really helps me. And even if we're kind of just like re reaffirming the same thing that we already know, it, it just, it just seems to, to help.
1: It doesn't, yeah. it never hurts to feel hear those things. Yeah. It always feels good. Yeah. yeah, that's Right. I can't get enough of it. I, right. you know, yeah. I just, I love the,
0: uh, the affirmations.
3: Yeah. And that really speaks to, I mean, cause that works for us and it's something that we both appreciate hearing from each other and I guess this gets into the love languages where we probably appreciate that. that those should yeah, grow know, right. each other, but, and, and other, other couples might have different languages that they want to use and reinforce, you know, to, to reaffirm that commitment with each other. But I think finding things like that, that you can do with and for each other to just continue to express that level of commitment is important in any relationship, whether <laughs> it's not monogamous or well, monogamous, But but yeah, that, that, has been a helpful approach for us because specifically talking to the time piece of it, you know, it's, it's nice to get a message if you're, if you're busy and tons of stuff going on and you know that your partner's out, you know, they finished their work and they're going on a date, but they still thought of you, you know, before they went and did that, That like, that feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. There's things like that, that you can like explore and learn about each other and then do those, not because it's a checklist. Like, well, if we do this checklist, then, will work it's like that's right. not really how it works but you realize there's meaningful things you can do for each other that that keep it working yeah they keep it working <laughs> it, which, which has to happen in any
2: relationship like the, i said that's the grease for the wheels that keep it working it's not <laughs> yeah. yeah that that's all yeah yeah so but, do you guys have any other maybe advice for people who are getting into this or just starting to get into it
1: or Whether, something you wish we, you would have known at the very beginning yeah
3: for me personally, I, I almost wish that there was like a, a, a poly like class at like community colleges you go take <laughs> just to, to get the, the basics down, but um, or some kind of curriculum. But I think that in general, what I think is most important is that because a lot of people talk about, you know, reading all the books, reading all the articles, you know, communication and all these things. Um, I think that honestly, there's, there's almost steps before that that have to be done where you need to be like an emotionally healthy person. You need to know how to value and validate your own needs, desires and, and wants for yourself. A lot of times people are coming from relationships, especially monogamous and that opening up um, or even just, um, you know, they're, they're single and getting into poly. But again, traditional relationship scripts are really just built on a whole bunch of unhealthy codependencies and And they're built on, you know, really poor communication styles. Um, The the ideas that um, you're supposed to find in someone else, the things that will make you happy is one of the most unhealthy uh, perspectives you can have, like for your own emotional well-being. And that has nothing to do with poly or, you know, or swinging or non-monogamy that just from a therapeutic sense, like so many people are in therapy addressing the fact that they don't know how to feel their own feelings, talk about their own needs, uh, communicate in a healthy way. I think that a lot of those tools are needed for everyone. And I definitely wish that even though I was a successful adult and seemed to be able to communicate well, like, and navigate things in a mature way. Um, I realized that emotionally, like when it came to my needs, feelings, emotions, I was almost like a, I mean, I don't know about kindergarten, but, but definitely grade school level in being able to fully express my own feelings, emotions and uh, and communicate them clearly in a way that I felt confident about. Yeah. Uh, so the, all those things I'm saying, it's that's just being a healthy individual, like a whole person instead of like I'm half a person looking for my other half in, in this other relationship, whether it's poly or monogamous or swingers or whatever no, I'm a whole person. I'm confident. I feel great about myself and I'm going to go like be myself with another person or other people in a happy, cohesive way. That's Mm -hmm. beneficial. So I, I think that that would be one is that if you're looking into poly, take that hard, look at yourself and see if you've done that emotional labor. It doesn't mean that you're not ready for it. I mean, and technically everyone's always doing this emotional labor. We just talked about jealousy. It's not like we'll ever conquer these things and, but if you're aware enough in it, then it's going to help you navigate all the feelings and emotions and and just scenarios that it brings up. So I'd say that is just, just kind of take that hard look at yourself and say like, well, how how do I approach negative feelings that I have with the person I'm having them about? Do I just lash out and yell, or do I get mad? Do I stomp around and never say anything? Like all of those are pretty common. Behaviors that mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people do, but those are the most unhealthy ways to address it, and that's just going to really cause problems in right. non-monogamy. All right, that was my long rambling answer, but that, that's me. <laughs> no, but that's I wish, a good, good answer. Yeah.
0: yeah, I totally agree with everything Aaron said. You know, to add to that, non-monogamy has been great for me. You know, I would say definitely. You know, it, do do that personal, that, that self-reflection and self-examination before you go into it and, and be honest with yourself about whether you think that you can be non-monogamous in a healthy way. And if, if you do, I guess I'm, I'm saying this as if I'm giving advice or something. Um, if you do just know that it is possible to be non-monogamous in a healthy and happy way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's great when yeah. it works, you know, yeah. when, if, if you're, you're able to be, you're able to do it personally, you know, you're stable enough emotionally and mentally and all that stuff. And, you know, you find a partner where you guys are, you have the trust and the honesty and the communication. Yeah. Um, it can be really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy in it. You know, I just want people to know that it's an option to do that. And it's, it's a lot better of an option than cheating. Yeah. Being monogamous, but not actually because you're cheating or being really unhappily staying with someone where you're not, you know, you're not necessarily compatible. Yeah. Things like that.
2: I think it's a testament to both of you guys that you both came out of relationships, having tried it and it didn't work in that relationship and you guys didn't throw in the towel and say, well, it's obviously not possible and you you came back to it and said well not only is it possible but here's how we're going to make it work and here's how we're going to approach it in a successful and healthy way mm-hmm. and you didn't just look at it and say well it failed once it's doomed for failure inevitably you know that i think that's pretty unique maybe and really and really awesome i don't know
3: yeah thank you i think that that's I mean, it kind of speaks to the fact that, in order to see what truly were the, the things that that caused that, that's that self-reflection, and you look at it and say, well, it's not Polly's fault, right? It's not Ogami's not fault, it's not the other partner's fault, you know. That it's like, well, can I turn internal, like internally, and, and look at myself and say, okay, well, here are the things that I know, and now I'm speaking for myself. I know I probably should have been better at already. I'm gonna do that work. And that doesn't mean, like you said, you completely throw out the idea of something else or, you know, a different lifestyle or something. It just means that you're like, wow, I learned that I have some things to work on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's really important. I think that we're kind of conditioned um, in this society to, to generally try to blame, you know, whether it was our partner or whoever they met or just non-monogamy or maybe it was just that one night that things didn't go right. So all my feelings are all because of that. And that's what didn't work out. It's like, actually, you know, (laughs) you might have feelings for some very real reasons, which might set up some rules around what you want to approach and maybe how you want to approach it. But that doesn't mean that everything that was done is a bad idea.
2: And, and I would take this opportunity to play devil's advocate a little bit and, go back to quoting dan savage and say <laughs> i think this is true on the monogamy side as well where yeah if you were together for 50 years and out of those 50 years one of you slipped up once and kissed somebody or slept with somebody it doesn't mean you were bad at monogamy you know it means that you had i mean you were pretty damn good at it you did it flawlessly for 49 and a half out of 50 years that's pretty good so
1: we're big savage limit yeah, listeners right. if you can't tell <laughs> But, uh, me too
2: so I think <laughs> it's it, it's very similar to what you're saying is like yeah that didn't work here's the things we can fix and move on it's not monogamy's fault it's not non-monogamy's fault it's something in there that we're not we're never going to be perfect and so just being able to know that and adjust to it is important I think
0: mm-hmm. one thing that I think makes our relationship work and makes poly work for us really well is the fact that we, we invest a lot of time and energy into our relationship with each other. To me, I, I, I think that's a major reason why poly works for us because I do get insecure easily if, and if Aaron, you know, if, if, if I didn't totally 100% trust, you know, that he was really into me and that we really love each other and that we're happy together. If I didn't totally trust that. And that, that's not to say that we don't get mad at each other ever. or We don't have, you know, disagreements or things that come up. It's not that it's perfect. It's just that I have a really high level of trust in our relationship and, and, you know, his desire for me and my desire for him So, and I think that comes from the fact that we do invest a lot of time together. We have, you know, two date nights a week. We communicate all the time. Like, you know, this over communication thing, we communicate constantly and we constantly reaffirm each other. So, you know, and that is really important, especially when you get into things like the new relationship energy, the whole NRE thing, Mm -hmm. because that can be really scary, when, I mean, it can be wonderful. And and that's a great aspect of of poly And it can be really scary because when you're in a relationship, but a a longer term relationship with someone that cannot compete with the, the excitement of a new relationship, you know, that, you know, keeps us like on our toes with each other to say, Hey, let's do something new and different with each other. Let's Yeah, You know, go out on a special date, let's get dressed up, let's do something to keep that energy fresh between us as well, because we don't want to be having all the fun on our dates with other people, and then we come home with each other, and it's like, oh, okay, you again, or something like (laughs) that, which is, you know.
2: Yeah, I think it's easy for that jealousy to creep in when your, your primary relationship, or, you know, maybe you're with your partner, what primary relationship we'll call it, is I don't want to say stagnated, but it becomes normal, maybe a little monotonous. And then all of a sudden you're dressed up sexy going on a date and you're like, well, Hey, when the, when was the last time you dressed up like that for me? When was the last time you wore something sexy like that? Or when was the last time you were this excited to go do something with me? And I think that's awesome that you guys try to keep that same fire in your relationship. So when it happens outside of your relationship, it's not a bomb going off to,
3: to blow you guys up. That's yeah yeah and that's and and yeah that's that's true and and kind of the the questions you were at that you gave as examples of like well hey when's the last time you dressed up that sexy for me that's that's like the fear like oh no jealousy feeling and the healthy like approach to that which we try to have is more like man you look like really sexy i i want to like on our next date night like I'm gonna pick a place to go, like where you dress up sexy. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so having those those priorities set, and, and uh, this is a, a big thing for us. We all, we we talk. Well, I talk a lot about it, and, but um, I think prioritization of time and energy, um, and and whether it's emotional investment or financial investment, whatever that really drives the commitment. For me, at least, you know whether I'm married and monogamous or non-monogamous and dating or whatever it is, but it's it's the constant investment that proves the prioritization of time um is is what we're actually looking for. Where it's like, hey, I know that if we set up dates on these nights that we're we're gonna do it. I know that if we start making life goals together, that like we're gonna do it. And building that trust with each other. And that's something that you have to do regularly in, in whether it's a monogamous relationship or non-monogamous. Um, so that it doesn't become stagnant. So it doesn't become just like the routine of like, well, I guess we're in a relationship, I think, but what are we doing? Like, well, I don't know. What do you want to do? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people do kind of reach a point. They like, oh, they get married and it's like, okay, cool. I guess this is what we do now. Right. And it's like, well, what do you do? Like have yeah. some life goals. life. Life isn't just about reaching milestones. It's about like setting the next ones too. Like, right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have this many date nights and we're going to do a class together uh you know we're going to make sure we set up set aside nights that we can go on dates either separately or together with other couples you know then the other life goals like house and you know financial goals and things like that that become actually fun to talk about because it's part of the commitment with each other rather than like this draining like thing that neither of us want to deal with yeah. instead yeah. something that we're emotionally and financially and and just in our, with our whole selves investing in with each other. So, yeah. right.
1: I think, you know, we don't have kids at, at the moment, but I think that that can definitely make things even harder um, or not necessarily harder, but more important to prioritize your relationship as well. Uh, because yeah. that relationship has to, like you said, has to be a priority at times so that it works um, with the added stressor of, of children.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So I know you guys have mentioned, we've all mentioned quite a few resources throughout this podcast, you know, Dan Savage and the books that you mentioned. Is there anything else out there that um, either another book or podcast or some other resource that you think people would benefit from?
2: Or that you found particularly useful as you guys were
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: getting into this?
1: I
0: already mentioned Opening Up by Tristan Termino. And I I really like that book. I I like how it's laid out. I like that it goes over different ways to approach non-monogamy, different styles of relationships. So I definitely recommend that. I would also recommend Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication. So it's not poly specific. It's he's a, a therapist and or a I don't know if that's his official title actually, but he's a a communication expert. And the nonviolent communication approach is I feel blank, and you say the emotion of what you're feeling. You know, I feel upset, or, you know, I feel angry, or I feel jealous because my need for blank is not being met. My need for safety, my need for affirmation could you please blank? And then you make a specific request that that communication approach and, and not that it's always done one for one exactly in that, that approach, but, you know, at least at the least starting with, I feel statements and being able to state your emotions and take responsibility for those. And then also relate it to a need mm-hmm. to me has been super helpful in navigating poly and kind of getting to the deeper layers.
2: And I think that goes back to most of the problems within our relationships are not relationship specific. They're just communication or other general life problems that get amplified when sex is involved.
1: Mm -hmm. Just two people try to mesh their lives together too, or multiple people try to mesh their lives together.
2: Absolutely. Yep.
1: Yep. Well, we wanted to really thank you guys for the time. I know we've rambled a little bit, but I think we talked about some really important topics. So yeah, thank you for spending the evening with us. And Absolutely. It was yeah. a blast.
0: Thanks for having us on the podcast. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, I enjoyed
2: it, yeah. yeah, Yeah, definitely. Me too. It's, it was great. And I want to say, too, that I mean, you guys it, honestly it was blown away talking to you guys. You guys were super insightful and. I feel like if anybody outside of this community were to listen to this, it would be hard for them to hear people like you talk about poly and swinging, and come away with a negative view on it.
1: Exactly. So. Yeah. Ha-
2: having ambassadors like that is is
0: awesome, and we're we're happy to have met hey. you guys. Yeah. So. Well, that makes me feel really warm and fuzzy inside. So thank you. <laughs> for saying that. That's cool. <laughs>
2: So, we again, as as Emma said, thank you so much for taking the time. We took a huge chunk of your evening and we appreciate it. So, hopefully, we can keep in touch and we will let you guys get back to your hot yoga. I know we interrupted it for quite a while this evening. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, the hot yoga is done.
2: So, So, all
1: right.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: Thank you guys. It was awesome talking. Let's let's definitely stay in touch.
2: Absolutely. Thank you and have a great evening. Yeah, good
1: night. Thank
0: Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again to Samantha and Aaron for taking the time to talk to us. We had a really great time you know, learning about their views on the blend between swinging and polyamory and how that works in their relationship.
2: Yeah, and it was also really cool that they came on the show. We did that interview really early on and they had no idea what, who we were, what we were doing. So for them to trust us with their story was really awesome. So thank you again for doing that guys. We had a blast next week. We've got a really fun interview with the founders of Cassidy. They came on the show and they basically shared with us their origin story, how they got into swinging and what it looked like for them the last couple of years going through this. So that's uh, really kind of a neat behind-the-scenes look into that. So you definitely going to want to tune in next week for that. Yeah, and that's it. That's it? Okay, we will see you guys
0: in a week.
1: Bye, everyone.